fall off. That in you we have a place of hope and refuge and freedom, Lord. We're, we're here today believing that chains and shackles will be broken. That lives will be redeemed, restored, and set free. And through the power of your spirit, we leave different than when we came in. Now, here's what I know. I know some of you are still carrying some things. You're carrying hurts and frustrations. And before we ever dive into God's word today, why don't we just lay it down and get rid of it? So, Lord, we're here. We're willing and ready to open your word to experience your grace and your truth. But before we do that, we're setting it down. Whatever we carried in here, whatever we're currently thinking about or whatever's weighing on our hearts, we lay it at your feet, trusting that you desire to speak to us today. May our lives be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as you're sitting down, high five somebody around you. Tell them good morning. I hope that you are having an incredible weekend post-Easter. Hope you had a great spring break, and we're excited to be right back here this morning worshiping together with you. Again, if it is your first time, I want to say welcome. We are honored that you chose to be with us today, and I'm not the only one who's excited that you're here. Church, can you help me welcome every person here for the first time? We're so glad you're here, and for some of you, you're tuning in online with us. We want to say good morning to you as well. Excited for what God is doing in your life, and believe that if you ever find yourself in the wonderful town of Mount Pleasant, North Carolina, you should hang out with us on a Sunday morning. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I'm excited to get to worship with you today and teach God's Word to you. But before we dive into this brand new series that we're going to be kicking off called Things Jesus Never Said, I believe that there's power in celebration, and what I want to do is celebrate some things that took place last Easter. Easter at Propel. And so last Sunday at Propel Church, we saw 452 people in attendance and 18 people made decisions for Jesus. Here's what we wholeheartedly believe. Um, We are a church that's not afraid of numbers because we know that every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. Those are 452 souls that got to encounter Jesus last weekend, and we're excited for that. But one of the things that I'm also excited about is that we told you, hey, for every person in attendance, we're going to give $10 to the Mount Pleasant Food Pantry. So 452 people means that we have the opportunity to write a check to the Mount Pleasant Food Pantry of $4,520. Can we just celebrate that? And you might be thinking, where in the world are we going to get that money? The truth is, it's already there thanks to your generosity. We don't have to take up anything. We're just ready to write a check and bless people. So thank you for those of you who give week in and week out to the mission and vision of Propel. I felt really led. Uh, It's always you get into Easter and you go, what in the world do you teach after Easter, right? Because Jesus is still not dead. It's like God's not dead part, you know, one million at this point. And so like how... You know, what do you teach? And and so one of the things that I feel really strongly about, and the reason why I think a lot of Christians and people struggle in their day-to-day walk with Jesus, is because all throughout our lives we buy into what we think Jesus has said or what other people tell us that God has said. And and sometimes the hardest truth to receive in your life is, is due to the fact that you've already bought into something that isn't truth. And so what we hope to do in this message series as we talk about things Jesus never said is really get to what he didn't say so that we can understand what he does say through his word. And through that, you and I will replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. 
Here's what I know about you this morning. No matter who you are, uh, I believe you're in one of three places. You are either going into a difficult season in your life, you're in the middle of a difficult season, or you're coming out of one. I think it's like a revolving door. We live in one of those three places. You're heading into in the middle or coming out of one. Life is so difficult and it's easily complicated. And when you go through uh, hard times in life, I think well-meaning but slightly annoying Christians will say, will give you a verse kind of like this. It comes from First Opinions chapter 1, verse 34. It says this, Know this, that hardships diminish. And troubles flee because God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever sat down and had a conversation with somebody and, and you were sitting over coffee and, and talking and you were going, man, my life is terrible. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. And, and they're like, well, don't worry. You know, you're, you're going, eh, I lost my job. I've got cancer. This is what's happening to my mom. And, this is, and they're going, don't worry. God will never give you more than you can handle. And not only that, but, but know this, that when God closes a door, he opens a window. What the world does that mean? What story is this window on? Right, because if you're on the first story, opening a window, that's pretty good. You're on the 12th story of a building, that's a terrible window. Is he giving me the opportunity to end it? Like, what? I mean, all the time we hear things like God helps those who help themselves, and none of that is rooted in the truth of God's Word. And so what I want to do, I want to show you really where people get this misconception. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, that God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, know this, that He will always provide a way out. This passage of Scripture, people go, well, that's exactly what God does. God won't give you more than you can handle. But that's not what it says at all. It says that he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, the enemy will attack you and he will come after you and he will throw everything in your way. We get this wrong sometimes. The enemy doesn't tempt us with things that we don't desire in our own heart. He's crafty. So if you want to know why you're being tempted with something, it's because deep down you desire it. And if you deal with the desire and not the temptation, you might actually find freedom. Whole nother message. (laughs) says he won't tempt you beyond what you can bear. But know this, that God will provide a way out. When you and I survey scripture, when we read through the Bible, here's what we see. There are so many people who were going through things that were more than they could handle. You could look at in Judges in, in, at Gideon. We find him in a wine cellar threshing wheat, dealing with his own inadequacies, going, I'm the youngest, I'm the weakest, I'm not the right guy for the job at all. In Exodus, we see Moses, who's been given this incredibly big task of setting God's people free and going to Pharaoh, and Moses is completely overwhelmed. I think that's a little bit more than he can handle. Esther is afraid and terrified of the plan that God has for her life and the, the lives of the people around her. All throughout Scripture, we see this. David is wrestling with the weight of his own sinfulness. And this is what he says in Psalm 38, verse 4 and verse 8. It says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. I feel the the burden is too heavy to bear. I am exhausted and completely crushed. And some of you are like, David's speaking my language, right? Like, I'm there. Exhausted. And completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. David is wrestling with the weight of his own sin, and it's too much for him to handle. 
Even Jesus is experiencing a state of being overwhelmed as he's in the garden. It says this in Mark chapter 14, verse 33 and 34, that Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He, he says in this moment, I'm so overwhelmed, I feel like I could die. God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not in Scripture at all. Jesus never said it. God never said it. And in fact, all throughout Scripture, we see the exact opposite. So why would God allow you and I to have more than we can handle? I believe that there's two reasons. The first one is this, is that you would depend on his presence. The reason why God will give you more than you can handle is so that you'll depend on him. In the good times, it's easy to depend on God, isn't it? Like everything's going great, marriage is great, family's great, finances are great, God, you are great. But then when life gets a little bit difficult, it's easy to go, I don't know what's going on. God must not love me no more. I don't, I don't, my wife don't love me. Like I, I'm debating on whether I love my kids, right? Like you're, you're going through all of this stuff and... It's easy to depend on God in the good times, but it's a lot harder to depend on God when things get a little bit rocky. I think the best example of this is uh, like turbulence on an airplane, because that's when you find out uh, how saved people are real quick. So I was on a flight, um, was coming from St. Louis back to Charlotte, and the weather was bad in both St. Louis and Charlotte. And so I got to the airport at like lunchtime, and I'm getting ready for my flight. I'm excited. I'm going home to see my wife because some craziness had happened back at the house. And and I'm like, I'm going to be home. Got my boo. It's going to be all good. So I'm getting on the plane, or I'm getting ready to get on the plane. They're like, hey, flight's been delayed two hours. Bad weather here. Bad weather in Charlotte. Two hours, no big deal. Uh, two hours later, um, it's been delayed for another two hours. And two hours after that, it's been delayed for another two hours. I've been in the airport now for about seven, eight hours. And they go, hey, we're just not flying anymore tonight. <laughs> so I check into a hotel room. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And, and I'm so frustrated. And so I get to the airport, seven o'clock flight the next morning, seven o'clock, ready to go. Nope, two hour delay, nine o'clock, ready to go. Nope, 11 o'clock, we're getting on the plane. And the, the, the guy comes over the intercom and he says, um, Ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, you're not going to be able to unbuckle. This one's going to be rocky. And just clicks. No. No. Time out. Did not sign up for that. You know when the dude who is the one in control of the airplane is going, it's going to be rocky. It's not going to be good. And when I tell you, if you've ever experienced turbulence, maybe you're like, what in the world is turbulence? It's like a sky earthquake, right? So you're in a plane. Come on, some of y'all just connected it. (laughs) Oh. So you're in an airplane, confined tube, lots of people around, and all of a sudden, everything starts shaking. You go through uh, 30 seconds of that, not a big deal. Go through two hours of that, you're confessing things just in case you die, right? (laughs) You're you're looking at the guy beside you, and he's grabbing your hand, and you haven't made eye contact the whole time because he's got headphones, which is the international travel symbol of don't talk to me. But now he's like, can you pray for me? Absolutely. What do you need? <laughs> I don't believe in Jesus, but just in case he's real, help a brother out. You know, like everybody is ready to call on God when things get difficult. Or when things are easy, we don't. But when things get difficult, you and I have the opportunity to depend on the presence of God. I think we see this in Jonah's life as well. See, Jonah had heard clearly from God, go to Nineveh, and Jonah was like, 
Nope. So he goes around and does the opposite. He's running away from God. He finds himself on a ship, and on this ship, the wind and the waves, storms are everywhere, and Jonah ends up going overboard, and then it says that the Lord arranged for Jonah to be swallowed by a fish. And as Jonah's in the belly of a fish, this is what it says. He's going through this prayer in Jonah chapter 2. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. So when everything was good, even when I was running from God, I wasn't calling on him. But in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of my hardships, in the middle of my uncertainty, I called out to the Lord. And you would think if there was any point where God would be like, no, not listening to you, should have learned your lesson. It would be this moment. He did the exact opposite. Jonah says, I called out in the middle of distress, and you heard me. You answered me. Where is God in the middle of your storm? He's waiting on you to call out. He's waiting on you to reach out, to depend on his presence. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you. When life is difficult, God is waiting for you. To simply tag him in. He's waiting for you, ready. I think a lot of times when life gets difficult, you and I end up asking all these questions like, why, God, why, why, why is this happening and why is that happening? And I prayed for this and I thought this was going to be the way that it worked and it, it went the exact opposite way that I prayed. And God, why is this? And, and I'm the one that's been faithful and why and why and why? And, and can I just tell you that why is an okay campground, but it's a terrible foundation to build a house on? Why is a place where you can pause for a moment? Because God can handle your questions. I don't buy into the theology that says, God, you can't come to God with your issues, or he's too holy and righteous for you to go, God, I'm mad at you. We don't see that in Scripture. Right. You, can, you can camp out in why, but don't stay there. Because yeah. it'll only make you bitter and frustrated about the current season of your life that you're in. Whenever you're going through hardships, whenever you're going in the middle of a storm, I wrote it in my notes like this, it says this, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Right. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. In the middle of your storm, in the middle of your uncertainty, in the middle of your hardship, you can call on God and he is there. Psalm 145 verse 18 says this, the Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. Turn to somebody and say, that's for me. All right, 1030. We're going to work on it. Turn to the other person and say, that's for me. He says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. There's no prerequisites. When you call, he answers. That's the beauty of our God. When you call, he's ready. For me, this became a, a big realization when I was at the lowest point um, that I think I've ever had in my life. And you would think that this is where you get to hear, oh, let, now he's going to tell us about the times he was selling drugs and got arrested. That wasn't the lowest point. The lowest point of my life was when I had already followed Jesus. In fact, the lowest point of my life came in 2016, about a, six months after we had started the church here in Mount Pleasant. And so I had been serving God faithfully, and I was honoring him. But in January of 2016, I had had an Achilles injury. And, and yeah, I was supposed to take it light. I had this nice boot on. And, and, but, man, I was like, you know, I can, this doesn't slow me down. I can race you in this boot. So I'm running, and, 
And what ended up happening is I tore it even more and ended up having to have a complete Achilles reconstruction surgery in March of that year. It was one of the hardest seasons. And you thought, oh, he's going to learn his lesson. He's going to take it slow. He's going to slow it down. Didn't do that at all. And in the healing process of the first reconstruction surgery, I actually tore my other Achilles. And in November, had the second one reconstructed. So in 2016, both my Achilles reconstructed. I had to learn how to walk all over again. I taught 48 weekends that year here at Propel Church. And out of those, there were only eight Sundays where I wasn't in a wheelchair or in a boot. It was one of the lowest points of my life. I felt depressed. I felt angry. Like, God, I've been faithful. You asked me to plant this church. I was doing exactly what you told me to do. I think I'm a good candidate for you to just heal me. Just saying. I know I, know I don't get to dictate that, but I think, you know, if people deserve it, I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm frustrated. I'm mad. And in, that, in the middle of that season, God was drawing me closer and closer. Where was God with me? Right there in that moment. He kept bringing me back to passages of Scripture like Psalm 23 where David says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have nothing to fear, for you are with me. And what I realized in that season of my life is that I would rather be in the valley in the presence of God than on the mountaintop without him. That I'd rather be in the darkest seasons of my life but have Jesus by my side than to be on the highest mountaintop without the presence of God. Because all I need to do what God's called me to do is him. Know this, that when you can't see what God has said, you hold on to what he says. You hold on to the truth of his word, that he will never leave you or never forsake you. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. And the second thing is to experience his power. So I think one of the reasons why God gives you more than you can handle is so that you can depend on his presence, but I also think he wants you to experience his power in your everyday life. And the other week we were hanging around the office and we were sitting around talking and somehow the topic of cartwheels came up. And so we're having a conversation about, you know, who can do a cartwheel. And somebody on our team had the audacity to look at me and say, you can't do a cartwheel. I know exactly who they are and I'm not making eye contact with them right now. Right? <laughs> you can't do a cartwheel. I'm like, oh, you think big people can't do a cartwheel? Like, what, what you trying to say? I know I can do a cartwheel. And here's what I felt like in that moment. When they say you can't do it, they're saying, I need you to prove to me that you can actually do it. So internally, I've got this struggle now because now I feel like, you know, at 260 pounds, I got to prove that your boy can do a cartwheel. And so I'm like, can you do a cartwheel? You know, I'm wrestling through that by my eye can do a cartwheel. But here's the good news. They got distracted for a little bit. I thought they forgot. So I had been talking about, I can do a cartwheel. Yeah, I can do a cartwheel. Of course I can do a cartwheel. You didn't think I can do a cartwheel? I can do a cartwheel. But then they forgot. So we're like walking around and then all of a sudden we end up outside talking about something else. And they're like, hey, you still got to do a cartwheel for us. I know. I was just waiting on you. And so I line up and, uh, one, our intern looks at me and she says, well, well how many steps are you going to take? However many it takes, like, back off. I got this. Here's what I do know in this moment. Um, I had those Achilles reconstructions done in 2016. Um, I haven't done a cartwheel since then, and I can't tell you the last time I had done a cartwheel before that. So I don't know how this is going to play out at all. All I know is that I've, my manhood has been challenged, and I must <laughs> accept this. So I take two, three steps. And your boy pulled off a cartwheel like a champ. But you know, the next day I hurt so bad. (laughs) 
Like my back hurt, my legs hurt. And I was like, there's places in my body, it's one cartwheel. It shouldn't have done that to me, right? Because what I realized is I was trying to do everything in my own strength. And I think there's some of us here today that when it comes to your walk with God, you've bought into the lie that he'll never give you more than you can handle. And so if he'll never give you more than you can handle, then if you just work hard enough, if you just hold on tight enough, if you just push through fast enough, if you just keep going and going and going, God's not the one that's given you more than you can handle. So if it's not God, then it must be the enemy and you're getting more tired and more tired and there's things that are aching and hurting that you never thought would ache and hurt, all because you're trying to prove something in your own strength. The truth is, your hardships are God's job security. The reason why he gives you more than you can handle is because he would never work his way out of a job. You were made and created to depend on the power of God. You don't have to have enough strength. You were created to need God. If you're tired and weary here today, One of the best things you can do is accept the fact that you simply can't do everything. You need God's power in your life, and he doesn't even expect you to carry it all. In fact, Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians, he's been talking about this thorn in his flesh. He says, three times I cried out, God deliver me, God set me free. He's got this issue that he's continuously struggling with over and over and over again. And when he says three times I pleaded, you would think, oh, oh, he just prayed three times. That's not the case at all. These were three groaning seasons where he's taking time. He's praying. He's fasting. He's going through everything he knows how to do. To say, God, I've got this issue. I need you to remove it. God, this is too much for me to bear. And this is what it says. Because truthfully, I think Paul's another one of those guys. That if God's going to heal somebody, if God's going to remove something, I think Paul's a pretty good candidate for it. Like in my human nature, I go, the dude's planted churches. He's helped people. People are getting healed in in the apostle's shadow. Like I think that's a good candidate for you to take care of the issue that he has. But God doesn't, even though he can. And here's why. As Paul is wrestling through that, going, God, remove this, remove this, remove this. He says this in verse 9. But then he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is is made perfect in weakness. He said, man, I've got all these issues and I've got all these struggles. Here's the good news. I called out to the Lord and he answered me and here's what he said. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in the middle of your weakness. So then Paul says, therefore, and anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you look back to what it's there for. So we see that he's just said that his grace is sufficient, power is made perfect in weakness, and he goes, therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness. You see the perspective shift? God, remove it, remove it. My grace is sufficient for you. Yo, I got struggles. (laughs) I got issues. I don't have it all together. I've got things in my life that are jacked up and messed up, but here's what I know. What Jesus, what God just told me is that it's in the middle of my weakness that he is made strong. It's in the middle of my hardships that I get to actually experience the full power of the resurrected Savior. It's in the middle of my struggles that I know that God is not just powerful, but he's with me in the middle of it. So he says, I boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Maybe the reason why you're not experiencing the power of God is you're still trying to prove you're powerful enough. But the moment you're ready to say, I'm weak, God, I need you. His power rests upon you. 
And then in verse 10, he says, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in the insults. I delight in the hardships and in persecution and and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. The perspective that Paul has in that moment, I think, is a life-changing one. To say, yeah, I've got struggles, I've got hardships, but I'm not drained by them, I delight in them. Because I know that every hardship is an opportunity for the power of God to be made real in my life. Every hardship is the opportunity for the power of God to be made real in your life. The reason why God gives you more than you can handle so that you would depend on him, You'd depend on his presence, that you would experience his power. Because right on the other side of your ability is God's sufficiency. It's God's grace, his mercy, and his beauty. And until you and I are willing to say, I'm weak, then Christ will never become strong in your own life. For me, there are plenty of Sundays where I wake up and I love, I need you to hear this, I love what I get to do. To have the opportunity and the privilege to tell people about Jesus is an honor. But there are some Sundays where I wake up and it's difficult to walk out here because I have to go, God is good. And internally, I'm like, I don't know. He's so strong. And I'm like, I don't feel it today. But some of the greatest messages I've ever delivered in my life are in the middle of his strength being made perfect in the middle of my weakness. No matter what you're going through or facing today, I believe that when you get to the place where you go, there's no way I can do this. God's waiting, going. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. The question I would have for you is, are you sailing or are you rowing? So if you look at two boats for a second, a rowboat, you and I know you sit there and you got paddles. And in this boat, here's what you're going to do. In order to move forward, you have to take both paddles and you you have to basically dig. And you're going to push and you're going to pull. And through that, you're going to get forward momentum. Now, if you go fast, then the boat will go fast. If you go slow, the boat goes slow. Problem is, if you go a little faster with your right hand than your left hand, you start to veer off in the wrong direction. So you got you to be very cautious about which, which arm, you know, which one's stronger. So you got to make sure you're in rhythm. So you sing songs and you're working and you're grinding and you're just rowing and rowing and rowing, making sure you stay on the same path. And if you work hard enough and you don't go too far left, you don't go too right, left. If you don't know your directions, it is what it is. And if you just work hard enough and if you just row fast enough, then you'll actually make it. A sailboat is different. A sailboat opens its sails and allows the wind to carry it, to dictate the course and the direction of it. I think the reason why a lot of us are tired is because we've been rowing when God created us to sail. We've been working, we've been striving, we've been pushing. And he says, if you'll just open your sails. Paul says that the Spirit of God would blow through your life. The wind would take over. Whether you're here today and maybe you've got an 
incredible hardships in front of you. You're fostering children. Maybe you have a rebellious child. Maybe you're single and you're looking for a, a man or a woman. Maybe you're in here and you've got bills and you don't know how to pay those bills. You've got disease and sickness and you feel like, I've just got to be strong. No, no. You have the opportunity to sail, to stop rowing, to stop pushing. Because the truth is, I think the hardest thing for some of us to realize is that sometimes God will actually bring you to a place where he's all you have so that you realize he's all you need. I think you and I can learn before that, but know that God doesn't play second in your life. He desires to be everything. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then in verse 28, it says, and we know that in all things, turn to somebody and say all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that God causes bad things to happen in your life. It says that he works out all things. When you and I experience more of life than we can handle, I believe that we have the opportunity to depend on his presence and experience his power. So for just a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, I believe that there are some of you in here today who are struggling. You've got hardships. You've got uncertainties in your life. You feel like life is more than you can handle. But today you're saying, hey, I want to, I, I just need prayer. Maybe, maybe the struggle that you have is, is not just in your life, but in the life of some people you know. And you're saying, hey, pastor, I need you to join me in prayer that I would experience God's presence and God's power. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Say, hey, I need those prayers. I see those all around the room. Here's what I want to do. I want to join you in that prayer. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much for the truth of your word, that through the power of your presence and your spirit, we can find fulfillment and wholeness. That God, you haven't left us in the middle of uncertainties. You haven't left us in the middle of our hardships, but you are right there waiting. So Lord, we tag you in this morning, believing that through you, we can experience peace in the middle of turmoil and peace in the middle of chaos. I pray for every person who had said, hey, I need prayer. And for those that didn't, Lord, that the peace that you bring that surpasses all understanding would rest on their hearts right now in this moment. And for some of us in here, today's a day where you need to make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. Because in the arena of your life, you've been rowing, you've been trying to fix yourself, you've been the, the only one in the boat, you've been dictating the course and the direction, and you know that your way is not working. Because God actually created you to depend on him. And today you want to say, hey, I know that I need to, to stop rowing myself, but surrender control of my life to the one who gave it all for me. If that's you in here for just a moment, would you lift your hand and say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I see those. Here's what we're going to do, church. No one prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, will you stand to your feet and help me celebrate with those who made decisions this morning?
we are going to continue in worship for a moment and sing a song called, What a Beautiful Name. And one of the things that I love is that no matter how I'm feeling, worship, let me teach you something about worship for a second. Worship is, is not a feeling. Worship is a posture. Because worship is to show love or affection to God, which means if I don't feel like worshiping, if I don't feel like maybe I had a bad week, so I come in, I'm like, I'm not worshiping today. Right? I'm not going to worship. Or you're like this. When's that dude going to talk again? You know, like you've been there. Worship is not a feeling. It's a posture to say, hey, God, I know I might not feel like it, but I love you. I know it's hard right now, but I trust you. And when you position your heart in that way, I believe that God speaks to it like never before. So for just a moment, we're going to worship again together. Let me pray. Lord, we just come to you thankful. Thankful for salvations. Thankful for decisions. Thankful for people who said, hey, hey, God, I'm laying everything down. I want to experience your presence and your power. And as we sing a song that talks about just how powerful your name is, Lord, I pray that we would experience the fullness of you today. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.